All right, good evening. Good to see you all tonight in Bible study. <clears throat> We're in Joshua, the 24th chapter. We're in the last chapter of this book. We'll probably spend two weeks in this book. Um, two weeks in this chapter, rather, not in the book. We're going to most likely spend this Wednesday and next Wednesday in this chapter. And we'll... Um, We'll see. I may finish it all tonight, but I'm not going to rush through it. But if, if we don't finish it tonight, we'll finish it next week. And then that'll leave us the first uh, part of November to go into a different uh, Bible study. So uh, this is, the again, the continuation of uh, Joshua's farewell uh, speech or charge to the leaders and Chapter 24 covers the covenant renewal. The last chapter we dealt with uh, Joshua's charge to Israel's leaders, and we looked at the implications of that, uh, what will happen if they don't obey God and they don't love God. And, and so now we get to chapter 24, where the covenant is renewed at uh, Shechem. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this Bible study. We thank you for your word. This is the word of God, Lord. This, these are your very words that we are studying. So, Lord, I pray that you refresh us by your word, encourage us by your word, uh, convict us by your word, Lord, and, and help us to grasp Christ in this text and help us to look to you and trust in you Lord as we look at your work in Israel's history as it is recalled uh, in this text Lord help us to understand the truth that you will show us tonight by the Spirit's power and help and Lord help me to teach this text well tonight by the power of the Spirit Lord, just bless us and refresh us and renew us uh, by means of your word tonight. In Christ's name, amen. So, this is a covenant renewal ceremony, basically. Uh, and this took place in some other books of the Old Testament. Uh, when I think in the book of Nehemiah, they renewed their commitment to God. Uh, and there are other places in scripture also but here in this chapter we're dealing with the renewal of the covenant it's almost like a ceremony and renewals always dealt with uh, recalling remembering excuse me God's great work so the covenant renewal was basically put in place to remind Israel of what God had did for them and how special of a people they are and what are they to do with that renewal they are to renew their commitment to God after renewing uh, the covenant to God so this chapter begins with Joshua again speaking to Israel through the leaders just as we saw in the last chapter he called all the leaders in chapter 23, verse 2, it says, Joshua summoned all Israel 
his elders and heads, his judges and officers. And at the beginning of chapter 24, it says the same thing. He gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and officers of Israel. So it wasn't all the people. Again, it was the, it was the heads. Okay? So Shechem uh, was one of these centers of pagan worship back in the uh, ancient days. But here Israel is meeting there to renew their covenant uh, before God. So Joshua gathered all these people here. And then verse 2 begins. It says, Then Joshua said to all the people, so he's speaking to the leaders. Just make sure you remember that. What does he begin to say? Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So who's speaking? God. He's speaking instead of God. He is uttering the very words of God. So when you hear thus says the Lord, that means God, Yahweh. And then he recounts God's faithfulness. He begins with Israel's history from the patriarchs all the way down to them crossing the uh, Jordan into the promised land where they are now. So we'll just read this whole section. And I'm reading from the ESV. It says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt and I sent Moses and Aaron and I played Egypt with what I did uh, in the midst of it and afterward I brought you out then I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea, the Red Sea and Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. This was the donkey uh, when uh, Balaam went to, to curse Israel, and God uh, made his donkey speak to him. Okay, that was in, I think, the book of Numbers. Anyway, but I will not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over to the Jordan, and came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites and the Jebusites and I gave them into your hand and I sent the hornet before you which drove them out before you the two kings of the Amorites uh, Og and Bashan and it was not by your sword or by your bow in other words they didn't do it. It was God who did it. I gave you a land on which you had not labored. And cities that you had not built. 
and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. So at the beginning of this, what is Joshua doing? He is recalling Israel's redemptive history from Abraham all the way to where they are now. So he's covering uh, a few hundred years of their history as a people. Now, the thing about Abraham is that Abraham was not, um, when God called Abraham, Abraham was not a Jew. Okay, he was not a, it was, he was not a uh, Hebrew. Abraham called, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And we see this in Genesis, the 12th chapter. That's when Abraham was called. Okay. So Abraham was called, it, it, it's recalled back in Genesis, the 12th uh, chapter. So he said, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the river. And when it's speaking of river, it's talking about the, the Jordan River and the Euphrates in chapter, uh, in, in, in this chapter, he's talking about the Euphrates River. Okay. So in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 2, when he's talking about uh, Abraham, when he says beyond the river in verse 2 he's talking about the Euphrates river okay so Abraham uh, grew up in a pagan idolatrous home he didn't grow up in a home that served God that's something to remember about him he grew up in Ur of the Chaldeans okay if you look at Genesis 12 look at Genesis 12 okay going back to the first book of the Bible uh, Genesis 12. The land of Ur. Those cities back then had some interesting names, didn't they? <laughs> Ur. You are Ur. So look at Genesis 12. So, this is the ESV rendering here. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told of him. And Lot uh, went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, so Haran is in the land of Ur. Okay, so that's where he departed from Haran, which was in uh, Ur. Okay, so that's what Joshua means. He's recalling the beginning of Israel as a people. Now, if you look at verse 6 in Genesis 12. Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem. Think about that. And that's what Joshua is giving his speech from to the elders. The same location at Shechem. Isn't that something? Okay. Now this time it says in verse 6 of Genesis 12. At that time, who was in that land? The Canaanites. So this shows that Abraham was not a God worshiper at the time that he 
was called he grew up in a pagan idolatrous home and 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 nation okay Francis Schaeffer the famous theologian of the 20th century said we know that Ur and Haran were centers of moon worship okay so Joshua was basically telling Israel that their past heritage is a people that were not God's people because Abraham at first was not one of God's people so what did God do God took them from being not his people to being his people Ezekiel 16 and 3 says this thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem your birth and your nativity are from the land of Canaan your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite he's talking about their uh, Abraham and and uh, and Sarah so the beginning of this nation had pagan beginnings so God took this these pagan people and made them his people so what God is doing is reminding Israel of his faithfulness in the beginning of this chapter 24 I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river so then he goes to Egypt so we know what happens Abraham um, gives birth to Isaac he says you dwelt in the wilderness for a long time well that's in, in, in verse 7 but verse 5 through 7 he talks about Egypt also I sent Moses and Aaron and played Egypt so in the meantime Abraham gave birth to Isaac Isaac gave birth to Jacob Jacob had the 12 sons and among them were Joseph okay and so we know the story of Joseph is found in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 okay Joseph his brother sold him into slavery and he was picked up and he became a slave in, in Pharaoh's house first it was Potiphar's house he, he escaped from Potiphar because Potiphar's wife had accused him of, of, of rape or whatever so he was put into prison in Pharaoh's prison and he, he interpreted a dream while he was in prison and Pharaoh made uh, Joseph second in charge basically prime minister over all his kingdom okay and a famine that hit the land you know it was seven years of feast and seven years of famine in the dream that Joshua I mean saw Joseph interpreted then during the seven years of famine Joshua's other brothers came from the land they were to get food not knowing that Joseph was their brother you know uh, so that was that story back in the book of Genesis it's worth, worth rereading and so over the course of time those brothers brought their father Jacob to him because Jacob had gotten old and they wanted him to see Joseph Joseph finally revealed who he was exactly put the money back in their sacks yeah when he, when he sent them sent them back that was funny that's a good, good funny story right there funny stories right there so finally Joseph was able to see his his father before he died before he was able to see Jacob and of course at that time they all settled in Egypt and then of course at the end of Genesis it talks about that then at the beginning of Exodus it talks about the nation that grown real big and the Pharaoh that was uh, the Pharaoh at that time didn't know about Joseph this was like 400 years later because Israel was in 400 years of slavery 
So four centuries later, you know, this Israel, you know, they, they grew to maybe two, three million people, but they were slaves in Egypt. And then, of course, we know the story that God heard their cry. God sent Moses to Pharaoh, you know, the 10 plagues and all that. And then they came out. Uh, they had to pass over in Exodus 12 and so forth and so on. And Pharaoh gave chase to them when they crossed the Red Sea. So that's basically what he's doing is recalling God's goodness with Moses and Aaron here in verses 5 through 7. He plagued Egypt. He brought them out. He brought their fathers out of Egypt. The Egyptians pursued them. I'm just skipping through verses 5 through 7. They cried out to the Lord. He put darkness between you and Egyptians. Because remember, Israel had crossed the river first, the Red Sea first. And the Egyptians were hot on their tail. And what did God do? He brought the sea upon them, as it says here in chapter uh, verse 7. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. So, the Israelites, they saw how God had drowned the Egyptians. So again, they saw the mighty work of God. And that's what Joshua was doing, just reminding them of God's work, of what God did. And so once they crossed through the Red Sea, they're now in the wilderness. The wilderness journey was supposed to take 11 days, but it ended up taking 40 years because of their rebellion. Okay, they say the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Well, uh, Israel didn't get that memo. <laughs> no, they circled around the wilderness for 40 long years. But what does Joshua tell them at verse 7? Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites. And they fought with you, and God gave them to his hand, and they might possess the land. They destroyed them. Then Balak uh, from uh, the king of Moab rose up against them. Because Balak... You know, Israel was going through his territory and he wanted them destroyed. So he hired Balaam, the false prophet, to go and prophesy against Israel. But every time he prophesied, good came out of his mouth. This is in the book of Numbers. And you all remember the story where he, he uh, uh, Balaam went to, to curse Israel on his donkey. And, you know, the angel of the Lord stood in the way. And, and, and blocked the donkey and he asked the donkey like you know what's wrong why did you stop you know he, he hit his donkey <laughs> and the donkey opened his mouth and, and you know spoke spoke against him or whatever and so Balaam ended up instead of cursing Israel he blessed Israel because God put words in his mouth to do that and so God turned that curse into a blessing so he says, but I will not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. This is verse 10. So I delivered you out of his hand. So God's faithfulness has been with them. Then now verses 11 through 13, he talks about God's faithfulness in the land of Canaan. You went over to Jordan and came to Jericho. We know about the fight at Jericho where they won. And then they defeated all the Amorites, Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, and Hivites, and the, and the Jebusites. They had the northern uh, campaign where they conquered the northern five, I think it was five kings from the north, and then kings from the south. They defeated them in those challenges that we did a few weeks ago. So God was faithful to them so that they could conquest that land. 
He says, but not with your sword or with your, your bow. I have given you a land for which you did not labor. Cities which you did not build to dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So, God was basically telling them that every blessing that they received was undeserved. Okay? Israel enjoyed the vineyards and olive orchards in Canaan. These were undeserved blessings. The fact that they had cities that they did not build, that was an undeserved blessing. One thing that Joshua, his story leaves out is Israel's sin and rebellion against God. But they did sin and rebel against God. He just didn't mention it in his, in his address to them. But that even shows more how faithful God was to Israel. Despite their rebellion in the wilderness, guess what? He still blessed them. He still gave them cities that they did not build. He still gave them land that they didn't have to work for. He gave them vineyards and olive groves that they did not even plant. So now with that reminder, we get down to the second part of this chapter. Choosing to covenant with the Lord. So this chapter is about renewing the covenant, their commitment, their faithfulness to God. So now the challenge comes. So begin at verse 14. Now, therefore, so having heard all this, having heard about God's goodness, God's faithfulness in making you his people and giving you a land. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now, this wasn't a blind leap of faith because they saw God's faithfulness to them. They saw God's work. They experienced God's blessings. So, it made sense for them to exclusively serve God who had done so much for them. What can we learn from this? All that God does for us, especially as believers, we have no other choice but to serve him and him alone as God. Unbelievers have no other choice but to come to him in faith because of his blessings in their life. We talked about that last week, how through common grace, God blesses unbelievers. God blesses those who hate him, who reject him. We looked at Romans, you know, the second chapter uh, where Paul said, no, you're not that the, the goodness and forbearance of God leads you to repentance. Why is God good to the unbeliever? So that they may repent and turn to him and believe. Israel has no other choice but to serve God. Why? Because he's been so faithful to him. They saw it. 
we see it too. We see God's faithfulness to us, despite our sin and rebellion against God, because we don't always obey God. God is so faithful to us, even when we are faithless. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Always. So Joshua tells them, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Because the other side of Euphrates were the pagan gods, the Babylonians, and, and, and their gods. Also on the other side of the river were the Egyptians. They served their pagan gods. And then the gods of the Amorites, when they were in the wilderness, they had their pagan gods. So the principle is that the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh, is greater than all of those idols of those other nations. You know what? God is greater than all the idols, the false idols that we have in our, in our nation or in our life. God is greater than all gods. He's the God over all the small G gods. And that's what he was telling Israel. Serve God and God alone. God's call to us as believers is to serve the Lord. Serve him. How do you serve God? By obeying God. By worshiping God. By honoring God. By giving glory to God. By living for God's glory. And living to his glory. That's how. Those are different ways that we can serve God. By living a godly life. That's how we serve God. So he was telling them, serve the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth or in faithfulness. That's at the end of verse, well, toward the end of verse 14. Serve him in sincerity with a sincere heart, a deep commitment and a true commitment. So you think about sincerity, you think about a deep commitment. The Bible, I'm going to the pulpit commentary says this about this verse. It says the best test of sincerity is not always the open hostility of enemies. For this often braces up the energies of combat while at the same time it makes the path of duty clear. Still less is it at the hour of triumph over our foes. Then there is no temptation to rebel. The real test of our faithfulness to God is in most cases our power to continue steadfastly in one course of conduct when it is uh, when the excitement of conflict is removed and the enemies with which we have contend are uh, eased. So in other words, this is what he's saying. It's easy to serve God when everything's going well. No, I'm sorry. It's easy to serve God when there's conflict. Because who are you going to run to in conflict? God. But when there's ease, 
when conflict is removed, do we serve God? When distress is absent, do we serve God? We can easily serve God in, in, in distress. Israel, guess what? They had to turn to God when they were going to battle. But now that they're in the land, now that they're settled, all the tribes have their allotted land, are they still going to serve the Lord the same way, with the same passion, the same intensity as when they were going to war? Do we serve God with the same intensity when things are going well, so to speak, as opposed to when they're not? That's why we serve here in sincerity and in truth. That means at all times, a deep commitment, a true commitment, no matter what is going on. Then he issues this final challenge. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we would do what? Serve the Lord. All of us have pretty much heard that verse before. Excuse me. So they had a choice. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. He told them in verse 14, serve the Lord. But perhaps some of them probably didn't want to serve the Lord. What in the world is wrong with them? But you have people that no matter what God does, they don't want to serve God. Isn't that the, the heart of all unbelievers? People who are dead in their trespasses and sin, they see God's goodness. They see it in their life. They see it in life with their Christian friends and family members. But they still may say, ah, I don't want to serve that God. I'd rather have my, my idols that I have right now. I'd rather have my money. I'd rather have my social media fame. I'd rather have my phone. I'd rather have this ungodly relationship. I'd rather have all these material possessions than, than God. Think about that. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, some people still don't want to serve the Lord, despite how good God is. That's why a person can't come to Christ unless the Spirit of God works in their hearts. And that's what we pray, because it's going to take the Spirit of God to work in their hearts to lead them to him. Because despite all this, all of God's goodness, Joshua still had to say that. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, he says, do what? Choose for yourselves. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's individual choice. If they chose not to serve the Lord, they were then responsible to choose which deity they would serve. So they had a choice. And this is the thing. Every single person is a worshiper. Always remember that. You see it all the time. Everybody worships something. People say, oh, I don't, I don't worship, uh, you know, I don't believe in organized religion. I don't, I don't, I, I'm a, I'm a non-worshipper. You worship something. Everyone worships something. Everyone is a worshiper. 
They can't escape it. People worship themselves. I saw a young lady in my office today with a tattoo that said, love yourself on it. That means she worships self. Self is her God. Everyone is a worshiper. So Joshua says, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. It is the same in Christ. Either we are going to worship Christ as God, as Lord, or we're going to worship something or someone else. A person who doesn't repent and receives Christ as Lord and Savior, they're going to worship something else or someone else. There are no two ways about it. When Jesus came, there was a choice. Either you're going to serve him or you're going to serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's no middle ground. As the old folks used to say, there's no straddling of the fence. Christ presented the same choice. Christ came to divide. It's a choice. Christ or chaos. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as Joshua is saying here, or the God of the pagans. Everyone serves some kind of small G God or they serve the living God, the one true God. Everyone does. It, our choice for God is made in clear mind of the alternatives. Because some people think that a life lived for God is a bad choice. But what are they comparing that to? Because the other choices are far worse. If you think serving God is bad, well, what, <laughs> what are the alternatives? What, what do you think the alternatives are? They're worse. That's what people think. They're, they're so smart. They're stupid. They're foolish. The, the unbeliever who thinks that, the pagan that thinks that is foolish. If you think is something wrong with serving God, you think the alternative is going to be better? When you're rejecting your creator, when you're rejecting the God who made the heavens and earth, the God who provided salvation for you through his son, Jesus Christ, you think that there's a better alternative? That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's a fool. You have to be a fool to say that. Because you think the alternative is better? Are you kidding me? You see how foolish that sounds? It's like Peter said in uh, John 6 when, when Jesus gave the hard words, the hard sayings, and, and all these disciples uh, left him and Jesus asked them, are, are you all going to leave me too? And Peter said this in John uh, 6 and 68. He says, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words 
of eternal life. So those people who deserted Jesus when he gave those hard sayings about eating his body and drinking his blood and no one can come to him except the father sent him. And all these hard sayings, the scripture says that some people left him because of those hard sayings. And then Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, where else are we going to go, Lord? You're, you're the one who have the words to eternal life. In other words, no one else does. So to those who reject God, God alone has the words to eternal life. And those words are repent. Turn to Christ and be saved. He who believes in the Father and the Son will have eternal life. Those are the words of eternal life from God. If you turn from that, you're not going to get the words of eternal life in this world. You're not going to get the words to eternal life in medicine or in, in pills or in promiscuous uh, sex or, or, you know, relationships and, and transgenderism and homosexuality and killing your baby and, and, and social media fame. You're not going to find the words to eternal life in any of those things. Because those things lie to you. They lie to you. God alone has the words to eternal life. So Joshua is saying, who are you going to serve? You have a choice to make. Are you going to serve the gods, the pagans? Are you going to serve the gods of our culture? Joshua and Esther was saying, you have a choice. And guess what? I have a choice too. So what did he say? But. But. As for who? Me and my house. You want to go out there and serve the pagans? You go ahead. Your family members, your loved ones, your friends. You want to serve those pagan gods of this culture? You want to reject God? You want to reject his salvation? I pray for you. You go ahead. But that's not going to stop me in my house. Because what are me and my house going to do? We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Joshua offered an alternative for those who didn't want to serve the Lord. Excuse me. He chooses to serve the Lord. And notice he says, we will serve the Lord. I have chosen. I will choose. And Joshua could say this because he lived a life. He didn't live a sinless life. But he lived a life that continuously chose to serve the Lord. If you think about it. Joseph, in the wilderness, he chose to fight against the Amalekites. 
He chose to reject the golden calf in the book of Exodus. He chose to serve the Lord by serving Moses. He humbled himself. He chose to serve the Lord by coming back with the good report when the spies, the 12 spies went into the promised land. He and Caleb, they chose to serve the Lord by saying, we can conquer them with the Lord's help. We can conquer them. So he chose to believe God's promise about the promised land. He chose against the majority, against the other 10 tribes. He could have said, he could have gone along with, with what the other 10 tribes said that said, uh, we won't, we, 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 we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight, <laughs> you know. He could have chose to go along with the majority. He chose to take leadership and lead the people into the land. Understand this. God gives us choices. And God himself is a choosing God. God chose for himself a covenant people. He chose Abraham. Abraham didn't choose God. God chose Abraham. God is a choosing God. He's a God who makes choices. He chose, he chose us, those of us who are saved. He chose us to be his people. Because he's a choosing God. We're made in his image. So he wants us to choose. Another thing about as far as me and my house, Joshua understood that he, as the priest of his family, was charged with the responsibility to see that his whole house served the Lord. He had the job of representing his whole house before God. Those of us in our households, I, I have the same choice, me and Fran. That's for, uh, that's for our house. We're going to serve the Lord. Are we going to do that in everything we do in our home? Are we going to do it perfectly? No, but that's the way we're going to do it. We will serve the Lord in our house. And people who come to our house, they have to respect the fact that we serve the Lord. People that come to your house, do they respect the fact that you serve the Lord? Do people know when they come to your home or in your family that, yes, they serve the Lord? We have to make that choice. We have to stand, as they say now, ten toes down and with our heels dug in. We will serve the Lord. And we have to do it without shame. We have to do it without worry about the consequences. As Christians, we have to have the determinations you like Joshua did. And when he said the word but, he's, he's basically determined that he was going to take this course no matter what anyone else thought. Remember, going back to this text here, 
choose whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, that your, God, that your father served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, and the land you choose to dwell. But whatever you do, no matter what you do, as for me and my house. So it was like a determination that no matter what anybody else thought. Because his relationship with God was not based on man. It wasn't. And this is, this, is, this is a thought that God just gave me. Our choice to serve the Lord should not be based on anybody else's choice. It's an individual choice. I can't choose to serve the Lord based on my best friend's choice or my wife's choice or my children's choice. No, I have to determine within myself, Lord, I'm going to serve you if I'm the only person doing it. As Christians, we have to be convicted in that. We have to be convicted where we're convicted. We are going to serve the Lord no matter what, no matter how it looks, no matter we're the only one in our family, no matter we're the only one on our jobs, no matter, no matter we're the only one in our friend group, it doesn't matter. We serve the Lord no matter what and no matter who. That is the determination that Joshua had. His choice was based on the Lord alone. And he would serve the Lord no matter what anyone else did. Friends, may God give us that conviction. And may we have that conviction as believers. We're going to have it as a church no matter what. As for, as for us and our church, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to always preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what everybody else is doing. All these tricks and schemes and stuff that these other churches are doing to, to draw people in. We're not going to do that. We're going to continue to serve the Lord faithfully here at our church. Sing songs that are faithful to scripture having a right view of God we're going to continue to do that as a church God will grow and bring people to our church I always pray that but I'm not going to compromise and start doing all these gimmicks and stuff just to get people in the door like a lot of churches do Joshua's choice was not one of hesitation Joshua's decision meant that he lived above the evil influence of other people. Our decision has to be the same way. It was a solemn thing that he said. As for me and my house, it, it, it was solemn. It's very sober. It's very serious. When we say we're going to serve the Lord, that is a very serious commitment. That is a very solemn vow, well-grounded, rooted And it's something we must keep throughout our whole life. Lord, help us to serve you no matter what. And when he says, I will serve the Lord, he said he would serve the Lord only. He didn't say he would serve the Lord and someone else or something else. 
He didn't say ask me in my house, I would serve the Lord and serve other things. No, he said ask me in my house, we would serve the Lord alone, basically. The Lord only. The Lord exclusively. Lord, let that be our commitment to serve you and you alone. May God give us the courage and conviction to serve him and him alone. Amen. So we'll land there tonight and then we'll get to the people's answer because he's going to challenge them based on their response. So you get a chance to read chapter 16. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 16 through 28, and then they're going to deal with the barrier at the end. end. But read uh, yeah, 16 through 20, 28. 